You're about to get stuck into another edition of the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, breaking down all of the action from a racing weekend in the world of Formula One. And if you like what you hear and what you see, you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on all good podcasting outlets, including Spotify, Anchor.fm, our host and iTunes as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the subscribe button down below to stay up to date with all of our content there. And if you like the musings of you and Gail, Sam Hall or Ian Parks, Follow Twitter or Instagram at GPFansGlobal to stay up to date with all of the breaking news in the world of Formula One, or even just get on the website, gpfans.com. But now, let's get into the show. No, Mikey, no! fans stewards room podcast and once again we're talking about the aftermath of a incredible racing sunday in the world of formula one the abu dhabi grand prix the curtain closer for the 2021 f1 season and my goodness it was controversial to say the least myself ollie wilson sam hall ian parks and you and gail breaking down all of the action there's a fair bit to get into thank goodness everything happened at the end of the race otherwise we'd be stuck talking about the controversy of turn one of uh, lap one, sorry, turn six and seven for the whole of this podcast because it started off quite wildly. It then got very wild at the end. It was a bit dry in the middle. I want to start with you, Ian, because as always, you were out at the Grand Prix, as it has been the case for these last few races of the season. Controversy just seems to follow you around the place. You were at Silverstone as well, right, earlier this year. I mean, if you're in the paddock, we're going to have problems here on the GP Fan Stewards Room podcast. It's not Michael Massey's fault. It's obviously all my fault then. There we go. <laughs> I hold my hands up. It's all down to me. Sorry, Lewis. Blame me. It was just uh, epic. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, hand on heart here, uh, Ollie. I said the uh, message to the guys in our WhatsApp group chat before the race. And I said to them, you watch. We've had such an epic season. Here we are in Abu Dhabi. Max is on pole. He'll pull away from the start, control the race, and it'll be a damp squib of a finish. <laughs> Boy, could I not be more wrong. And I'm so glad I was, to be fair, because... Wow, we thought we'd had controversy at some previous races, but that was just about the biggest cherry on the biggest cake that F1 has had to cover this season in terms of controversy. As I say, turn one was one thing, but then the end was just something completely different that I've never seen before. I can't imagine anybody else has ever witnessed before, certainly the team's. Um, certainly in the FIA, that was that was a whole nother level of controversy here. To, for that race to finish the way it did, we're never going to see the like again. That was a once in a sporting history conclusion to a, let's face it, I, what I would suggest has been the best F1 season of all time. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not 70 years old, I've not seen them all, but I know my history books, I've read them, I've read about different seasons, but that was just different level, different class as well from two amazing drivers who themselves were just on a whole other planet compared to the rest of the field. 
Job's done. Podcast over. Right, let's walk away and uh, that's the season done and dusted. Look, let's talk about what happened at the end of the race. Let's run through it very quickly because you've got Lewis leading Max. Max is, is well off the pace at this point. He's put on a set of new hard tyres to try and close that gap. It didn't work for them. Lewis has got this race pretty much in the bag until the Williams of Nicholas Latifi goes into the barrier on lap 54 in sector three. That brings out a safety car. Everybody's backed up behind the safety car while they're clearing the damage. And then we have this interesting interaction between the FIA and Red Bull asking about why the lapped cars that were between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton on track weren't being allowed through. Massey says at lap 56 that those cars aren't going to be allowed through, but we are going to get some sort of a title scrap with Max putting on a fresh set of softs during this safety car and Lewis Hamilton staying out to just maintain track position. Very smart moves, probably from both teams. And you would argue, I think, that that's what both of them should have been doing in those moments. Some people may say differently to me. And then, lap 57 of 58, halfway round it, Michael Massey says that the five cars between Lewis and Max on track behind the safety car are going to be allowed to unlap themselves. And by the time, I think it was Sebastian Vettel was at the rear of that train, he's ju just got past the safety car. And suddenly the announcement comes up that the safety car is pulling in which according to the FIA regulations, if cars are unlapping themselves, they should stay out the safety car for another lap after that. But Mr. Michael Massey says the safety car's coming in and we're going to get this one lap showdown with Lewis on a fairly bald set of hards and Max on a fresher set of softs. And Max does him at turn five at the brand new hairpin, which is great for Charun Kanduk, uh, Karun Chanduk and all those that made the track because they get the nice world championship winning pass on their brand new corner. And Max goes on to win the driver's title. Sam, have I got everything right there in my little rundown of it? And what are we making of this absolute palaver that took place between Michael Massey and the teams and all the decision-making that went on? Oh, there's there's just so much there. I think you did a pretty good rundown of it, to be honest. But, I mean, I mean, we were trying to wrap our heads around it sort of three, four, five hours after the race had finished, trying to work out just what had gone on, why what had transpired had transpired, because obviously... Mercedes then protested and now have lodged their intent to appeal. They haven't actually appealed as of recording, but they've got their intent in there to do it. Um, so it was just crazy. Um, no, none of us could believe what was happening. Um, I mean, to go back on your decision, especially when radio messages has been broadcast showing both teams putting pressure on the race director... We've suggested before the team should not be able to do this. You shouldn't be able to contact the referee like that. Um, because at the moment, it looks to everyone that Red Bull have made Michael change his mind. Um, and it doesn't look as though he's got any power there. It looks as though he's just a slave to what the teams want, really. Um, I'm not suggesting that is the case. That's just the way it appeared. Um, but yeah, it was it was absolutely crazy. Um Red Bull, it must be stressed, did absolutely nothing wrong. Red Bull got given a hand. They played that hand to perfection. Mm -hmm. Mercedes, just because Lewis Hamilton had been the quickest driver for 57 and 58 laps, it doesn't matter who leads the first 57. It's all about who crosses the, the line on that last lap. And that just happened to be Max. Mercedes did nothing wrong. Red Bull did nothing wrong. The scrutiny has to be on the FIA here. Um... All these grey areas that, if you go back through the clips of the podcast from across the year, all these grey areas that have crept into the regulations have culminated in one hell of a mess for the FIA. And 
we need we need a Charlie Whiting, don't we? We need a a hard nosed referee who's not gonna not gonna listen to the teams. Who just go go. It's my way or the highway. Live with it. We can't have someone who goes round. And you can imagine having a little hug from, can you? So you mm. you can imagine sort of Michael being the sort of person who wants to get along with everyone, um, but it it needs someone hard to come down on all this and clamp down on it. Um, and I noticed the lack of shaking heads that kind of tell me <laughs> I'm probably on the right the right track here. I think- yeah, because. The thing is, sorry, Ollie, the thing I wanted to stress here is that everyone is going on about how gutting it must be for Lewis Hamilton, but let's just remember Max Verstappen's just put in the season of his life, and all everyone's talking about is what the FIA did. And mm. I think that is such a great shame for the championship. And to be honest, you know, people are saying it's brilliant, it was so dramatic. Other people, depending on who you support, are saying it was wrong. As an F1 fan at heart, before anything else, and I'm sure as I hope everyone else in the paddock is, that they're F1 fans at heart first. I thought it was really a poor way to end the championship just because it sort of just took the shine off everything good that happened this year and we've ended it in in the way that we have. It took the gloss off the celebrations for Red Bull and Max as well because, you know, there everybody, um, there everybody was last uh, on Sunday night uh, gathered around Red Bull, all the media, all the TV crews, uh, you know, all the Red Bull guys were covered in champagne. Yoss was absolutely in his element, uh, loving every second, having watched his son become world champion. This this dream that he had harboured for so long, and then all of a sudden, bucket loads of cold water are poured all over those celebrations when the protests and remember there were two protests that uh, Mercedes filed in the end dropped and it was just like it just like flattened everything it it just just became a, a real damp squib and then you had this endless wait this backwards and forwards of me watching in the paddock as well Horner Newey um, going backwards and forwards to the stewards, the Mercedes guys going backwards and forwards to the stewards. And you could see the, the, the paddock, the people in the paddock, it was just thinning and thinning and thinning and thinning until the very end, about like 11 o'clock, it was just a real hardcore group of media that were left and just uh, pretty much every other team had packed up and gone home. There was just a few people left inside Mercedes, a few people left inside Red Bull. And as I say, the whole celebration, the whole atmosphere had just been completely flattened. And that's not the way anybody ever wants a season to finish. And unfortunately, Mercedes took upon it took it upon themselves to protest. Arguably, rightly so, because the wording of the regulations was such that Michael Massey yet again had not played it correctly or not interpreted them correctly and to make a call about the safety car and then and then to rescind it literally what was it a, not even a lap later i think it was like 60 i think it was like 60 seconds that's just like what and then obviously you have the specific wording in the regulations that states 
that once all cars have unlapped themselves, the safety car will then come in on the following lap. In this instance, the following lap would have been lap 58, would have been the end of the race. The safety car would have come in and we would have had no overtaking from the safety car line and they would have just processed across mm -hmm. the line. And obviously, nobody would have wanted that either. So in many respects, Michael was damned if he did, damned if he didn't, no matter which way he would have played it. He was in no man's land. The only call that you feel would have been a reasonable one, and it's one that he has played before, because we do know he likes throwing red flags, as we've discussed on this podcast before, would have been to have given it a lap after the Latifi crash. Let's see how it's going. And it, let's, take, let's face it, it did take some time to clear away. He could have yeah. thrown the red flag. And we could have, with the three laps remaining, as we know, which was a topic that Lando Norris discussed last well, last weekend after the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, they absolutely hate and wants change, the regulation wants changing, that they could have changed their tyres. And then both Max and Lewis would have been on a, a soft set of tyres. And for three laps, we would have got a great, a still a great end to the season, but a far more satisfactory end to the season in my book, because then it would have been pretty clear um, as to who the, the championship winner would have been. Yes, it's clear in this case, I get that, I understand that, but it has this huge cloud of controversy through which we are looking to get to see the champion. And it is still not over yet, because as Sam's pointed out, Mercedes has lodged its intention to appeal. Um, uh, for anybody listening at this particular stage we're recording this on Monday afternoon uh, that 96 hours uh, window started as of about Sunday at 7.30pm UK time and will expire about 7.30pm on Thursday evening uh, just when the FIA gala is going to be starting <laughs> in Paris as well and Max will be soon then awarded his, uh, his trophy for this season Fingers crossed it doesn't come to that. Let's just draw a line under it now, guys. But you never know. Who knows? But th this is the other issue, though, isn't it? Just before we do draw a line, this is the other issue. Um, that they have Once the prize-giving ceremony happens, the FIA appeals, the, or the pros appeals to the FIA, aren't valid anymore. They, they won't change the result of the championship. So not only have they got to get this... In, no, because it, it could go to CAS. It could go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. But the actual FIA process, rather than before they go to CAS, because that's the next stage after this, isn't it? But that's the FIA... Pro that's just a simple FIA process, though, Sam. It doesn't matter if Mercedes do decide to appeal. If that appeal takes place after the uh, prize-giving ceremony, it doesn't matter. The, the prize-giving ceremony is just a symbolic thing for the FIA right at the end of the season to go ahead and do for all the winners of their various championships. If Mercedes decided to upset the apple cart and say, yes, we are appealing, then that appeal would have to take place given the time frame now. You would think after the prize giving ceremony, unless somehow they could convene supremely quickly, which ordinarily they've never done in the past because these appeals normally take place two or three weeks later because they've got to try and get everybody together from various parts of the world. but. If they could do something on Zoom these days, then they could do this super, super fast before the prize-giving ceremony takes place. But yes, and the very last recourse of appeal is the course of arbitration for sport if Mercedes really did want to push it to the nth degree and drag it 
all the way to the last law in the sporting land. If I could just jump in, sorry, because it's actually got bigger ramifications than this as well, because what we've got to remember is there's more than two drivers on the racetrack. And in this situation, where they were only allowing a certain amount of cars to unlap themselves, i.e. the five between Lewis and Max, you know, that changes the whole classification. You know, you've got some drivers who are now stuck a lap behind someone who is only five seconds ahead of them, which is not fair either. Um, and, and you know, Carlos Sainz almost lost his podium, which could have changed the uh, the championship picture with him and Lando Norris as well. So it, it's not just about the championship before people go on about, oh, you know, this is just you know, people liking Lewis or people not liking Max or whatever it is. It, it's so much bigger than that. And we've had decisions through the season where, you know, teams have appealed and they've had thrown back at them, oh, well, in the rule book, it clearly states this, and we're going to the letter of law. The one that I think about is Raikkonen at Imola. I think he got penalised for not taking his position back under safety car conditions, even though the team decided it would be safer to stay at the back. I think he spun behind the safety car. And the FIA withdrew their appeal, uh, sorry, threw their appeal back at them, saying the rules are the rules and we can't change it. Yet now we've got Michael Mazzi effectively having the power to not use the rule. Um, but which, that is a rule in itself, isn't it? But, I mean, but, that... but where do you stop? Where, where do you stop? And how do you decide when you can and when you can't? Because that's not fair in a sporting environment, surely. And again, surely it's not. Again, we go, you've got Lando Norris, uh, the red flag in Baku. Um, I think that was that during qualifying or a practice session where... He was very close to the pit entry, couldn't get into the pit entry in time, so continued along, did another lap, got penalised for it. I mean, they stuck rigidly to the rule book, correctly in my book, because in my view, the rules are the rules. If you don't follow the rules, you get get penalty. It's the way it works. Yeah. But we, as Ewan says, we can't have it where one week it's steadfast to the rule book, and then the next week it's, oh yeah, but... So, We'll let you get away with it this time because we can see this happens. And it goes back to my old bugbear of the track limits and is it the curbs or the white lines? I mean, sort that grey area out and you immediately sort out 90% of the problems. Because um, before the weekend, Sam and, and, and Ian, as, as we know, Mazzy said explicitly they're treating that weekend exactly the same as any other weekend, regardless of it being the World Championship decider. But they didn't because I don't think... I mean, we look back at the decision to bring the safety car in the marshals were still sweeping that track there was still dust and whatever it was from the fire extinguisher the, the powder on the race circuit it, any other race uh, if you think about the first half of the season I'm 99% sure that race wouldn't have got back underway because they would have still been sweeping the track. It felt like a rush. And the problem the FIO have got, and this is, before anyone calls me out, this is not my belief, but with all the radio communications and everything that happened after it with the tyre strategies and the timing of pulling the safety car back in and the cars unlapping themselves, you know, how, if, if you've got your conspiracy theorists out there, which there have been, there will be, and there always will be, what defence have the FIA got? How how they haven't got a definitive way of saying no, basically. I can't see how they've got that definitive way because if you add everything up together, you understand why people have feelings about it. Because there's no way nobody 
would have wanted that race, that, that season, to have finished behind the safety car. And so safety comes first. Again, again they always go about safety first. coming first. Exactly, but as you rightly pointed out, Ewan, there were marshals still clearing the track at various points. Yeah. And this comes back to the red flags, doesn't it? Why was there not a red flag? Karun Chandok suggested, why did they not throw a red flag, as Ian's said as well? Every commentator I heard said, throw the red flag. Yeah. yeah. At throw least then flag. you would have got two, three laps of hard racing between the two on the same set of tyres. And that would have been a great finish to the season. Instead, we're, we've ended up with this catastrophic mess. And what... What's frustrated me more than anything is the wording of the stewards document last night because there are regulations that have been laid down and all of a sudden the explanations that have come out from the stewards is, well, we read into the regulations like this. Well, you could do that with any goddamn regulation yeah. if, you, if you wanted to go that far. I mean, you know, and there's, there's the regulation, I'll just, I'll just to help people out a little bit here. What the, the main regulation that came um, into question was Article 48.12, which refers to any cars that have been lapped by the leader will be required to pass the cars on the lead lap and the safety car, etc., etc. Red Bull argued that any does not mean all. Because everybody I spoke to in the paddock, while we were waiting for this decision to come out, and we're talking some... Uh, top former professional drivers, we're talking current team principals, everybody that I spoke to said pretty much that a mistake had been made in only allowing a certain number of cars, i.e. those cars between the leader Lewis and Max, and there were five at the time, to unlap themselves. It should have been, effectively there were eight, there were another three that were behind Max that should also have unlapped themselves. But now we're arguing about the semantics of the wording of the regulations. Any does not mean, uh, what is it? Any does not mean all. Is this not a problem in the FIA though? When you when you write those regulations, surely, why would you not just put the word all in there? Because it's, as much as it's Red, Red Bull being pedantic with it, which to be fair, if, it, if the boot was on the other foot, Mercedes would be doing exactly the same. We all know this. But surely it's the FIA's fault for not writing the word all but but any does mean all if you you know if you, if you simply state any cars that have been lapped you are referring to all the cars basically but this is the argument that was being led by red bull for trying to get out of this we are arguing over words in the regulations and that's what this has come down to in the end and that is the most frustrating thing and then from michael's perspective as the steward for article 48.12 was the one in question he then switched to Article 48.13. So should Mercedes have protested that one as well? Did they get the wrong protest? Because Article 48.13 states that safety car in this lap is the signal that it will enter the pit lane at the end of that lap. So that was Michael's get out of jail card for saying that's why we didn't follow 48.12 when unlapped cars, once that's happened, the safety car comes in at the end of the following lap. And in this particular race, the following lap would have been lap 58, the final lap. So this might be a really stupid question, but why can we pick and choose which rules we want to follow when surely the entire rule book is there so that you follow all of the, the rules. rules? 
Yeah, exactly. And this is this is what infuriated me is that the eyes of the world were on F one. It was one of the most anticipated sporting events of the year. Channel four managed to get live coverage through Sky. Six point five million people watched on Channel Four alone. That's just in Britain. That's without the Sky coverage. That's without the I imagine millions of people in the Netherlands watching and throughout the world. And our sport was made to look like a circus. Red Bull should never have been in that protest hearing. I'm sorry, it was between Mercedes and the FIA. If Red Bull are in there, then Ferrari should be in there as well because they were affected. And every other team that still had a car on that track should be in there because it was a sporting problem. It wasn't about a team against a team. Red Bull didn't need to defend it. It was Mercedes against the FIA. Everything about it was fundamentally wrong. It it just was. And what I would say is F1's got the right champion, I feel. I think the right person won the title, but the wrong person won that race with everything that happened. Which basically so, means that if the wrong person won, that Lewis would have won it. I know it sounds your contradictory. Race, but then he would have had the wrong champion, but the right. right but do you know what it. I mean? I do. It, 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 I can't. When you have a look at everything that Max did this year, and and you know he won more races, broke a record for podiums, more poles than anyone else, led half of the laps in the season, fifty point three percent of the laps he led, way more than anyone else. It, it, he probably was the right man to win the championship, but how he he was nowhere in that race really can, compared to Lewis. I tell you what, if if Mercedes it does go ahead with its appeal, and if it does win, and these are all huge ifs um, at the moment, is there any way that Red Bull could then go back to earlier in the season and go, well, hang on, we disagree with this, that, and the other, and you yeah, know this that is a problem. Ten second penalty that Lewis got. Where's the precedent for that in the uh, in the regulations? Why didn't he problem. get more? And I mean, it's just going to be this political rumbling on, which Netflix are absolutely going to love. I mean, I'm genuinely looking forward to Drive to Survive because they won't need to amp up any of the any of the drama this season. It will just be, isn't I mean, that if a problem, do... Sam? It, because this this is the thing for me throughout almost since Brazil. These last few races have almost felt fabricated for television. You know, Lewis and that incredible performance that they got out of that car. The tyre problems at the end of what was meant to be a fairly bland race. Everybody thought it was going to be fairly dry uh, in Qatar. The Saudi Arabia controversy and everything that happened there. All of it has been building up. And, and, and it's almost no surprise that there are people that are saying, is this Michael Massey getting, you know, pressure from elsewhere, like Liberty Media or something? Is this Formula One caught in its own hype machine at this point? Because it, Formula One right now feels like the kind of, maybe the kid that didn't have many friends at school and then suddenly something happens and they become very cool very quickly and they don't know how to deal with that popularity and then they become a bit of a dick with that popularity and it all gets a bit muddled. Formula One is almost drowning in its own popularity right now because they've forced this issue to seemingly create a grandstand finish to their best ever season and they've pinned themselves in a corner with entertainment because you're never going to have a better finish to a season than this you you've already now reached your pinnacle you can't go any higher than that it just feels totally farcical and as you say it's frustrating that we're talking about any and all and not max and lewis and and an incredible drive from lewis on sunday as well it was magnificent the way he handled that 
now I know how Toto and uh, some of the drivers and team principals feel when we're questioning them and hounding them. <laughs> Got to be really careful with our answers, because we we like our FIA FIA accreditation. So um, if we if we could have that, that would be brilliant. Um, um, so right, no, I don't think it is contrived at all. I don't think there's any. I do believe that Michael may have been influenced slightly by some of the radio transmissions um, because anyone who isn't influenced with Toto screaming down the radio at you or Christian screaming down the radio at you I mean they're you're not, not human yeah you're not human you are it is going to factor into your thinking and the wider championship picture just as a fan of the sport which if, if you're involved in the sport you are a fan of the sport you enjoy it and sort of if you weren't a fan of it you wouldn't be here um, so I don't think Michael goes into anything and goes I'm going to make this happen I'm going to make that happen or wouldn't it be brilliant if no, they were sure, level yeah. going into the last race of the season I, I don't envy his job to be honest at all um, I mean it's easy to sit here in hindsight and go well why'd you do that but if you're sitting in the control tower your mind is first and foremost as he said before on safety you're ensuring the safety of those on track but i think the spectacle entered his thinking this weekend um whether it has before or not i'd have to go back and look at those but on this occasion i do think the spectacle entered his thinking too much um and too late because if it was earlier he would have thrown a red flag of that i've got no doubt but in the end, he, it was as I said, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. He had at least set almost a precedent for it because he, uh, what they said on the uh, on the TV broadcast when I was watching at home was that Michael Massey had said that if there was an incident in that part of the track, he didn't think it would be needed to throw a red flag and they would use a safety car. And he said that going into the weekend, so he set a precedent there with perhaps the decision that he made late on in the race to not throw a red flag. And, but you uh, can't know what a situation is going to be before the situation arises. I think they were testing stuff through the week. I, I, I didn't have a look at every single FIA document, so forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think if you were eagle-eyed enough, you would have noticed through turn 14. Uh, that barrier changed a lot through the weekend. I think Friday it was uh, that sort of arm close type thing. Then there was padding all the way down it. Then they took padding halfway down it. On Sunday, so that changed through the weekend. I'm always wondering whether they were trying to figure out what was best. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But and, and and Michael also said, you know, we heard his comment of we went motor racing at the end, Toto, which was like that was a pretty good mic drop from Michael Massey. You have to say in that moment, that's radio off after but, that. But we didn't go motor racing, did we? No. That last lap, uh, you know, Lewis was on. I, if I worked it out right, it was 45 lap old, cold, yeah. hard tyres. Max was on 20 lap old softs. That was a bit like Lewis taking a knife into a gunfight against Max. He stood no chance on that last lap. So that was not a motor race. That was not a race. If they're throwing the red flag, as, as we said earlier, two, three laps, four laps, both of them on softs, then we got a motor racing finish to the end. That was not a motor race at the very end. That was That was... That was so one-sided. It was ridiculous. Max was always going to win it. And you could see what was happening. Even, you know, as soon as uh, poor old Nicholas crashed, and I'll get on to him in a minute, I'll tell you a little tale. Um, as soon as Nicholas crashed, and as soon as Max came, you know, Max came in, 
that that was it. It was it was game over, wasn't it? Effectively, not Max came in, but it was game over because you could see what was what was going to happen. That the field was going to bunch, and as soon and and then as soon as those five cars disappeared in between the two, that was it. It was all over. And they either finished behind the safety car or they or they gave them that one lap, which was not a one lap race. That was not a motor. What we saw in Baku was now that was a race. And yeah. that's where he threw a red flag, and that's where we had a one-lap grandstand finish, and that was absolutely staggering. So do you think we could have had that again? I think we might have had that we again, and that would have, have been amazing. Now, that would have been a good way to do it. thing is, he had an excuse for it as well, because the car was on fire. The brakes were on fire. Yep. He had an excuse. He could have gone, well, the brakes were on fire. There was fluid on the track. We had to yep. clear the fluid There was out. dust everywhere. They were kicking up dust as they were going around on the uh, laps behind the safety car. But this is the thing. I mean, you know, there, there was... I mean, Verstappen was weaving on that straight after the start as well. It's almost like we forgot certain things. Like, you're allowed to weave now. They botched the call at uh, at turn six on lap one, I thought, as well. It was just mystifying. It was mystifying. Nicholas Satifi, though, was the guy that I don't think any of us wanted to be. I, I We've I, never mentioned him all podcast, I don't think. No. All our entire series well, by the way, of that podcast. I thought he had a really good season. moment in the spotlight. Yeah, he's had a really good season compared to George, actually, uh, in that Williams, I would say. But, yeah, as you said, I mentioned him the first time, and I, I, not that I felt sorry for him because it didn't really affect his championship, but I would have hated to have been in his shoes. All eyes, knowing... were, on, all eyes were on Lando Norris before the race, weren't they? Where, with him going, he was yeah. scared to alter the championship battle in turn one, and uh, it wasn't him, though, was it? <laughs> Nicholas I do actually feel sorry for because you wouldn't want to be any driver in that situation knowing you are the guy that led to that ending because every pretty much every driver worth their salt going into that weekend especially Lando who was third on the grid and already pretty made clear I'm going to stand back and watch unless a mistake is made by one of the two guys in front and then I'll go for that you know to go for that mistake that they've made. No driver wants to be in Nicholas's position. And I bumped into, um, I spoke to Dave Robson uh, at the uh, at the conveyor belt for, well, the suitcase is going around at Heathrow. Um, bless him, lovely guy. Um, every Saturday afternoon, Dave puts himself up for interview by Williams. And every single interview has, has been, on, been on Zoom. So this was the first time Dave and I had actually met face to face all season long, having done all these interviews with him. And he mentioned to me this morning that uh, Nicholas was feeling just a little bit gutted, that he was the guy that had unfortunately, you know, through no fault of his own, just a bit of rear end snap, sent him into the barrier and he'd influenced the championship in the way he did. So yeah, I I do actually feel just a little bit sorry for Nicholas for for those particular reasons. Because if you think about it, if you think about it, unless Williams have a blinder with the next year's car, it's likely that Latifi will always be the guy who caused that and will always be remembered in the same way that good old Timo Glock in 2008 is the guy, is that Glock. Yeah. It was Verstappen's Glock moment, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and that's what he'll be remembered that, for. Yeah, you're right. That's a very good point, actually. And yeah, he will. That's that'll be his indelible mark on Formula One history. The guy uh, Ian, that... we were, Sorry, we were always jealous of you for being at 2008. Um, <laughs> yeah. in, so, um, um, 
yeah, what one was better? What one was better to be there in the paddock? Definitely, I, I've got to say Lewis. And um, the reason for that is quite simple, uh, is that I'm a British journalist. Uh, I was reporting on a British driver and I was writing at that particular time for the Press Association, a highly esteemed British company whose articles serve hundreds of outlets across the UK. And so for me, that that will always be my biggest sporting moment as a journalist, because it doesn't get any better than that, to be honest with you. Um, to witness and write about something like that was just huge. But obviously what happened last night, that's probably going to be number two, because as I said at the very start of this podcast, we are never going to see the like of that ever again, I don't think. Certainly not, well, certainly not in my lifetime. Maybe you guys, you're much younger than me. There might be something that comes close to it. I hope you do get that moment. I really do. Um, but for me, yeah, Lewis 08, uh, simply for the reasons, as I've mentioned. But yeah, Max last uh, on Sunday night here uh, in Abu Dhabi, that pushes it really close just because of the dramatic season that we've had and culminating in that just unbelievable moment right at the end. And all this controversy that we are now discussing, rightly or wrongly, whether we're discussing it, but it's all gone into creating this huge bonfire of emotion and discussion. Um, that's what journalism is all about, though, at the end of the day. It, it's, you know, and that's what incidents like that are all about. It sparks these moments that we will be talking about, we've got to remember that as well, for years and years and years to come. Yeah. That's the best sporting drama um, that there is when you are still talking about it years, decades down the line. Something that will always be remembered. I'm amazed that you thought Hamilton 08 was better than going through the FIA regulations past midnight <laughs> in the back of the Yas Marina circuit with a fine-tooth comb to work out what on earth was going on with Michael Massey. You're saying that was... That wasn't the pinnacle of, of journalism and, and your F1 career as a whole. Outrageous. <laughs> Ian was the face of the Mercedes intention to appeal as well on uh, on British TV. He was. Oh, yeah. It was a cameo role there on the Sky Sports, yeah. Thank, yeah cheers. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thank, thanks That's to Craig Slater as well for just absolutely jumping on me almost. Like, right, so, that, so just just for some background, obviously Ian's out in uh, out, out in some of the races this year and then obviously me and Sam remain at base. And uh, we had switched to a Sky Sports News, which is our sort of hub for news after the, the main broadcast is finished. And uh, type in away as you do as a journalist. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we found Ian Parks. I was like, oh, I know him. I know him. <laughs> and we didn't start spamming his WhatsApp. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> Very kind of you, Jim. Very kind. I'm blushing. I'm blushing, It's on Martin's Gridwalk where we've got a we've got a fun game of spot the boss, which um, you you and did win that. I'm this fantastic. Season. It's basically a digital age version of Where's Wally. <laughs> Thanks. We're, we're, Shall we're I just go now? With, 
We'll send you with red and white stripy tops next year for our amusement. Yeah, yeah really. we'll get official GP fans outfit so you can uh, you can wear that on the grid. It'll be a red and white stripy top and a nice kind of floppy hat as well. It'll work out perfectly. <laughs> but we'll make sure it's got the logos on and everything so everybody knows to go to gpfans.com to read the fine musics of Ian Parks, Sam Hall and you and Gail on the world of F1. As we go now into the winter break, I guess. And we've not, we discussed the, we've not even discussed term one, Ollie. Oh, God, yeah, term one. Uh, do we Was need that to... another mistake? Was that another mistake from Michael uh, yes. Massey? Yes. Massively. Yes. Surely. Yes. On this occasion, that was a that was an absolute classic clangor for me. I'm sorry. That was that was a brilliant overtake. What what else was he supposed to well, do? I, I don't well, get that one. I really don't. For me, if if I take myself back to the start of the season, before the season starts, I would have always said that that was a classic case of someone being forced off the road. So in that case, I would have agreed with the decision the problem is is that over the last few races with brazil turn four with saudi arabia turn one the precedent has been set that if you keep your car on the road you've made that overtake and that's exactly what max did and then to come back and say i mean you heard jonathan wheatley on on the team radio to the fia to come back and say that lewis 1.6 seconds down the road has given the advantage back i'm sorry is nothing short of a disgrace we started this podcast being all friendly to everyone, didn't we? And now, now look at <laughs> Just us. sticking the boot in everywhere. Yeah. Left, right, and the problem is, and I, I, I do appreciate that Michael Mazzi and, and everyone at the FAA have got a really difficult job. I mean, Sam, you've, you've sort of collated a piece together describing exactly what Michael Mazzi does. And he's got five or six different roles. Mm. But in the end, if a driver made a mistake and crashed, we'd criticise the driver. If a team principal made or a strategy made a, a poor decision on strategy, we criticise them. In any walk of life, if you're doing a job and you don't do your job properly, you get criticised. And because you're the FIA race director or the stewards, I'm not sure you, you can't use that as a curtain either, can you? Yeah, because we can't blame Michael solely for that decision. No, exactly. He did make clear in his radio broadcast. The stewards have the stewards have looked at it yeah. and decided that there is no investigation. So it wasn't just Michael; it was actually gone to the stewards and the stewards. It was a collective. It was a collective. But this is the issue. I mean, some of these decisions that were critical of this year, Michael Massey's the face the face that we put on it. But I mean, a lot of these decisions. Let's not forget they haven't actually been his decisions; they've been the stewards' decisions. Yeah. So I mean. As much as I think Michael does need to be stricter on things, track limits, again, I mentioned them again, he needs to be strict on these things in his race notes, but the stewards need to really get a grip on these regulations and go, how hard are we going to be on them? If we're going to be hard, we stick to them. If we're not going to be hard, we make it clear where the boundaries are and remove any grey areas. Um I mean, if I have to mention grey areas next year, I mean, I'll get grey in the temples. I'll, I'll look like Ian after this season. The ironic thing is... is oh, that... shots <laughs> fired across the bow. Oh, I was going to say, the ironic thing is is that all they've got to do is keep it on the grey area, but Sam... You like your job, just... Sam. I was just about to say, <laughs> rather in than me. It's not the FIA. Oh, you're safe, you, and you're all right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, we've got our intro soundbite, haven't we? Oh, sack, before, <laughs> sack before Christmas. That's not a good time to lose your job, mate, just before Christmas. It really isn't. 
Oh dear. I, I, so, I, just getting back to Michael though, I mean, it, it's a fair point made by Martin and I'd already thought about it as well, like Martin Bond, by the way. Um, it's a fair point, I'd already thought about it, that you almost get the impression that the job's almost too big for Michael yeah. in some respects and he needs some kind of, I don't know, assistant or just someone there that it, he can sound off with and just, uh, just so he's got a second opinion rather than having these voices, Red Bull in one ear, Mercedes in the other, oh, or whoever it may be, badgering him at any given time, just so he can turn to someone and say, what do you think, should we do that? And then they've got two people together, rather than just him being this sole focus of attention all the time. Because I say, as Ewan's rightly pointed out, he does so much. I mean, this guy never sleeps in his own bed. He's, you know, if he's not at a Grand Prix track or across a race weekend, he's off inspecting some other track for safety reasons in another part of the world. I mean. You know, the, bearing in mind we've just had Qatar and Saudi Arabia, I think he's been away for about last three months or something like that because he's been constantly flitting backwards and forwards, making sure these tracks are going to be up to scratch for when F1 finally turned up. And let's face it, Saudi Arabia was only just up to scratch because a uh, great conversation we had there. But yeah, just getting back to Michael, yeah, I, I do think that they didn't. That's, maybe they need to split that role because he's race delegate, he's safety director. Maybe just have two people now. One's race delegate focuses solely on that, the other one's safety director, and when they maybe need to talk about, discuss something like we saw in that particular race with the Latifi incident, what do we do because it's part of the race and it's safety, the two heads are better than one. Um, so maybe they need to start, the FIA need to give Michael some assistance here going forward because uh, from what everything we've seen over these past few weeks, he's looked, he's looked a bit like a man that's floundering under the weight of what has been going on between Red Bull and Mercedes and Lewis and Max, the weight of that championship and the weight of this season. Well, Charlie Whiting had Herbie Blash, didn't he? The, just to sound off and every, everything went went between the two of them. And to be honest, if I was Michael, the first thing I'd try and get rid of for next year is the teams being able to communicate with him during the race. The teams don't need to communicate to him at all. I mean, that all that is is influencing the referee or attempting to influence the referee. Or it needs just the one voice, Sam, like the sporting directors and the team managers because that specific role. But when you've got Toto Wolf coming on the radio and going, no, Mikey, no, shouting in his ear at that particular point. And then you've got Christian in the other ear going on about, uh, you know, how many, ca how many cars should be... Uh, no, don't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> how many cars should be unlapping themselves, etc. You know, th that's then above and beyond. You leave it to yeah. one person within the team to speak to Michael. And one person only. He shouldn't be badgered like that, in my opinion, because, as I say, then it's another different voice. It's, it's added weight, added pressure. And as we've already mentioned, that maybe he did succumb to that pressure a little bit right towards the end and he just thought, I don't want this race, this season to end behind the safety car. We're just going to have this one last lap. Do we as fans need to hear those radio messages as well? I mean, no. it, yes. it, it, it was kind yes. of iconic yes. hearing that, and I'm glad you did the impression, and not me, of Toto <laughs> and that no, Michael, no. It, it added to the drama, obviously, as you're watching these two guys scrap it out in that final lap and everything. But there is an, a, a part of me that just thinks, as a fan, we're getting to see too much of the, almost at times, the inner workings of, of F1 that we maybe don't need to see or hear at, at that in those some of those moments. 
when I to say answer yes. the specific question, so because I'm the odd one out, if I uh, to answer the specific question, do we need to hear it? No. Do I want to hear it? Yeah, I do. And to clarify what I said when you when you asked the question, and I said yes, we do need to hear it. We may we maybe don't need to hear an irate Toto Wolf or an angry Christian Horner. I think we do need to hear the exchanges that take place, as I've mentioned, between the sporting directors or team managers with Michael. So at least we can get a clear picture as to the thinking of why a team is asking for something and why Michael is agreeing with or not agreeing with their suggestion. Because that helps us as media to convey the correct story when we're eventually sitting down to write it. But also, more importantly, it helps the fans as well appreciate what's going on. Because when a, a decision is being made and there's no reason for it, then at least by playing out some of those messages, the fans the then have an understanding yeah. as to what's going on. And I think that was, that was what was always lacking in Formula One before Liberty Media came in and they decided... And the F, along with the FIA, to then open up some of these broadcasts. And bearing in mind, we only hear a small percentage of them. There are way more that go that go on that don't get played. But prior to that, there was nothing, and you were left wondering, well, why is that decision being made? Why is why is that? What's gone on there that's influenced that particular part of a race or qualifying or whatever? At least now we get a bit of background and we get a, a better degree of understanding, and that overall is better for the show. But do we need to hear the Toto Wolf stuff, the Christian Horner stuff, that kind of ranty, argue No, Yes, it's great. As fans, we love it. But overall, no, we don't actually need it, I don't think. The problem is it's all part of, as Christian Horner said, about Mercedes having their media machine. Toto Wolf and Christian Horner both use this as part of their media machines. They know if they can get the fans on side, then social media popular opinion which like it or loathe it that's that's what a lot of a lot of people will form their opinions on if they can get social media on side they're seen as the good guys or unfortunately as the villains um they know what they're doing with these radio messages they're not just for michael they're played up so that deliberately played up in some cases so that the fans sort of go on their side about it. if they kick up enough of a storm about it i mean as fans, who cares about what Jonathan Wheatley's got to say? If Christian Horner comes on the radio and says, sort of starts ranting at Michael Massey, going this, that, and the other, fans suddenly take note. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm taking Ewan's fence here. I mean, it's it's the same. Do we want to hear them? Yes. Do we need to hear them? The ranty messages? No. But do we want the explanations? Yes. It's. Is Formula One trying to do too much of a good thing here? Is it trying to give us too much? I, I don't know. That's that's for higher up people in Formula One to or FOM to answer rather than us. Really, Ian's right because when it came out in Azerbaijan first with the whole red flag thing, it worked brilliantly. Having that conversation and figuring out what was going on, yeah, Ian's absolutely right. It was, it was good. It wouldn't be a. GP fan stewards are in podcasts without somebody sitting on a fence so I'm glad for this last one of the year that we were able to get somebody nicely on uh, on a fence for the grand finale hold um, on Ollie it's not the last one of the year because we're going to do a full season review the Christmas special the Christmas can Christmas. I add something before we go as well because <laughs> we I think keep adding things yeah but I th- wrapping up a podcast yeah <laughs> but, but stick with it because there's one person I want to mention that I think we should mention um, he's been in F1 most of my life to be honest, and uh, absolute legend, Kimi Raikkonen. 
Um, gutted that he uh, he left how he did. Uh, although, as Sam pointed out, it might be good that he retired in a way because he had his moment with everything that ha- uh, happened at the end of the race. It was driver of the day. Obviously, everyone goes on about how funny his interviews are. He doesn't say a lot, even with Martin Brundle on the grid a few weeks ago where Martin asked him for a quick word and he said yes and then walked off. Um, now, that's the Kimi that everyone loves, but actually, let's not forget, he was one of the fastest drivers in one of the best generations of F1, going toe-to-toe with an in-prime Alonso, an in-prime Michael Schumacher. And just from from personal point of view... When I was a kid, getting up early to watch Suzuka and his drive against Fisichella is one of my favourite F1 memories. So, uh, gutted that he's gone. I know it's the second time he's gone, but going to miss him, you know. He's good. I'm not going to add to that. That was a great eulogy. The only thing missing from his exit from the pit, from the paddock, he, it was beautiful image, him walking out with his wife and his two kids. All that was missing was ice cream. It just needed an ice cream and that would have been the perfect Kimmy image but Ewan put it absolutely perfectly as, as Ian said Valtteri Bottas walked out with a hamper last night what was that all about? Bottas oh have you not dove seen? dove into Yas Marina yeah. have you not well, seen? Well, there so, were these protests going on Bottas was, was bombing into the marina time. so the hamper the and I don't know whether you've seen but what's happened is, is Mercedes have made like a care package to give to Alfa Romeo because obviously Valtteri Bottas there's a test going on this week so after we finish the, the podcast and uh Valtteri Bottas is actually driving for Alfa Romeo this week and Mercedes have made a care package, a bit of a joke there's a bit of coffee in there and all that sort of stuff and they've given him that care package, that hamper to take to Alfa Romeo so Alfa Romeo can take good care of him (laughs) There you go, no watch just gets a nice little hamper thanks for five years Baby Bottas getting a care package from Mercedes I don't know if that's more slightly humiliating than anything else for poor Valtteri Let's not forget they won the world championship I'm sure he's got plenty of uh, little bonus coming towards him Yeah, Yeah, the constructors officially wrapped up this weekend for Mercedes, the drivers championship wrapped up in a whole load of turmoil Uh, but Max Verstappen, the 2021 world champion and of course Sam, Ian and Ewan will be working on gpfans.com to get all of the fallout for any more potential protests and going into the awards ceremony as well on Thursday. Get on to at gpfansglobal as well on Twitter and Instagram for all of the live updates from the world of Formula One. Click the subscribe button on YouTube down below to stay up to date with all of our video content. And of course, if you're listening on audio, like, rate and review the podcast and that gets us up in the rankings and that gets us more views and gets us more exposure, which is what we all want at the end of the day. F1's had too much exposure this season, but that is the Formula One 2021 season done and dusted. On to the new regulations in 2022.